great reformer, Martin Luther, he said this, the justification is the article on which the church stands or falls. The article on which the church stands or falls. If we don't understand justification by faith and what that really means for us and the outworkings of that, the church rises or falls based on that. It's the linchpin that, we, that the church turns on. Because that's, that's the key to what it means to be a Christian, that we're justified by faith alone. And although justification, what we've talked about, it's, it's this legal declaration that you are right with God. It's God looking at you and pronouncing you not guilty. It's God looking at you and pronouncing you righteous. Although it's a declaration about us, it also has implications for our lives. We live out this declaration over us. So when we have faith in Jesus, right at that moment, when we trust in him for the first time, boom, God pronounces us right. Right. He declares you right. Yet we need to live that righteousness out in our lives. God does care about what we do after that. So we're going to look at Romans um, chapter uh, 27, or sorry, chapter 3, verses 27. And we're going to look at what... um, what these implications are. What does it mean that you've been justified? And what does that look like in the lives of Christians? Particularly, what does it look like in the life of you? So let's read. We're going to pick up in verse 20. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read, start in verses 21, just so we get a recap of that. We're going to go all the way through 31. 21 to 31. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show the righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, here comes the implications. So what does that mean for us? Verse 27. Then, well, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works. No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by this faith or through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So we see the first implication of justification. The first implication of you being made right with God is this. Boasting is excluded. Boasting is excluded. Christian people should never be boasting people. Christian people should not be boasting people. It should be excluded from our behavior. It should be kicked out of the room and the door shut behind it and locked, kicked out, excluded from our behavior. So what is boasting? Boasting is self-exaltation, lifting yourself up. It's self-congratulating, self-congratulating. It's self-patting on the back, right? It's self-patting on the back. It's exalting you, 
yourself above other people, in the presence of other people. Some areas that we tend to boast, that people tend to boast are this, in finances, talk about the, the amount of money we might make, in some way brag about that. Maybe we might brag about our athletic ability or our athletic ability in the past, right? Our fame, our reputation. Maybe we might boast in our appearance um, by how good we look or how good we think we look. In our education. In seminary, we had a joke about the advanced Greek grammar guys. We say, you know how you know that somebody's in advanced Greek grammar? They'll tell you they're in advanced Greek grammar. Uh, of which I was not that crew. We might even brag in our religious faithfulness about how religiously faithful we are. It doesn't take much to see that we can brag pretty much about anything. We can boast about anything in our lives. We can self-congratulate, self-exalt anything in our lives. And we see this is, this is rampant in, in everything that we do. All you got to do is listen to any rap song that there's ever been and that guy that's rapping will tell you how much better he is than every other person that's ever, ever rapped. That's just what, that's kind of the nature of rap music. We, we, they boast against other people. The generations brag or boast about how better they are than you, right? All you boomers out there are telling these Gen Xers and the, and the Gen Z and the millennials how hardworking you were, right? And all of the, and all of the, the Gen Zers and the millennials are, are talking about how much better we are than you, right? The generations brag against one another. It doesn't take much to realize that we boast. Humans boast all the time. So what's so bad about this boasting? Why is Paul coming here and telling us, hey, Christians should not be boasting people. Boasting should be excluded from our behavior. Boasting should be excluded from our behavior. Why is that? Well, boasting, first and foremost, brings the focus on you and takes the focus off of God. Boasting takes the folk, brings the focus on you and takes the focus off of God, especially when it comes to your salvation, especially when it comes to your salvation. Paul's saying the fact that you've been justified by faith, you've been made right by simply trusting and believing in God. There's nothing that you contributed to that salvation. You've been saved by faith as a grace and there's nothing that you contributed to it. Therefore, if you boast about that, there's no possible way that you can boast, right? The nature of that truth is you have to say, I'm not good enough to save myself. I I'm so lost and so weak that I need somebody else to die in my place. The nature of faith is that you're saying, I can't do it. Not look what I can do or look what I have done. It's saying, look what I can't do. Look what God has done for me. So if we brag about our, our, our salvation, we take the, the glory from the Lord. We take the glory from the Lord and put it on us. We look at how good we've been. Look how faithful I've been in attending church. Look how faithful I've been to reading my Bible. Look how faithful I've been. Look how great I am. As a matter of fact, God, you need to look how great I am and recognize what's going on over here, right? That's what we're saying when we brag in our religious efforts. Uh, in, our, in, in the way that we think about our salvation. Not only does it take the, the glory from God in your salvation, it actually confuses other people when they hear about salvation. If we're talking and bragging and boasting about ourselves or about our contribution in our salvation, 
We confuse the gospel message that we preach. Have you ever been in a room um, where maybe you're trying to watch something on TV and your kid or somebody else is trying to watch something on their phone? See Whitney looking at me because I do this to her often, right? What, what do you say to one another when that's going on? You can't hear the TV because you're kind of distracted by what's on the phone, but you're kind of hearing. It, it muddies the message, right? When there's two things that are turned up really loud in the room. Well, in the same way, if, if our, what we're bragging about is mixed between ourselves and the Lord, if there's a boasting about ourselves and a boasting about the Lord, those two messages get mixed up. And the, the, the clarity of your message about the Lord is mixed. We've got to turn down the self-boasting and turn up our boasting in God. Jeremiah tells us that let the, don't let the rich man boast in his riches or let the, the wise man boast in his wisdom. But he who boasts should boast in the Lord. We should boast and brag about what God has done in our life, not about what we have done in our life. So as Christians, as those who've been saved by faith, justified by faith, boasting should be excluded from our vocabulary. Because justification by faith removes your need to justify yourself. If you truly have been made right with God by faith in Jesus, then you have no need to let others know or even to let God know how good you are. You don't need to make yourself seem like you're as good of a person as you need to be because you know that God has made you the person you need to be through faith. There's no need to self-justify. There's no need to brag. Justification by faith removes the need to be the center of attention. You no longer have to have people's attention because they're not the attention that you're wanting. You're wanting the Lord's attention. And justification by faith, as we've mentioned before, is simply an admission that you aren't good enough, that you aren't good enough. And the nature of this doctrine says that. So as Christian people, I encourage you to realize this, this, the, the first implication of justification, the first result of you being made right with God through faith, is that we do not need to boast. Boasting is removed. It's taken away. A second result of justification by faith is this. Boasting is excluded and groups are unified. Groups are unified. Paul asks a rhetorical question coming up here. He says this. Is God the God of the Jews only? That's a rhetorical question. When we hear the word rhetorical, the first part of that is rhetoric. Rhetoric is the, 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 the study of making a point, right? So a rhetorical question is a question that doesn't need an answer because the answer is so obvious, right? That was a rhetorical? Right, exactly. So when somebody asks a rhetorical question, they're asking that to make a point because the answer to it is so obvious. And Paul asks an obvious question. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. These Jewish people um, that he's writing to um, would have the idea of, yes, there is only one God. And even if somebody worships another God, we know that that's not really a God at all. There's only one God who made all of us. All of us come through him. So he asks this rhetorical question to these Jewish people. Is God the God of the Jews only? Or is he the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also. Because these Christians might have made a mistake, or especially these Jewish Christians might have made the mistake to think that Jesus is only for certain groups. That's a mistake. To think that Jesus is only for certain groups. 
Um, if you listen to much um, talk about Christianity worldwide, I don't know if you get on YouTube videos to hear this. Um, Whitney and I have experienced this just being overseas on the missions field. Christianity is seen as a religion for a certain group of people. A lot of times Christianity is seen as a Western religion, a Western religion or even a white man's religion or even an American religion, specifically to our country. The, the, some of the Indian folks that we would meet, they're like, man, I'm not really down with Christianity because I've watched those movies that come from America. And Whitney and I are like, that doesn't, what do you mean? What's the connection you're making? He's like, the movies I see on TV, that's how Christians live. And I'm talking like just any, any movie you can think of, that's what they kind of, he, he was picturing as being a Christian. It's like, that, that's, not, that's not it, man. I'm sorry that that's been a confusion because he, in his mind, associated Christianity is a Western religion, a white man's religion, an American religion, and that's, that's Christianity. That's a, that's a big mistake, right? We, the, the world, a lot of people will see Christianity as that. But Christianity is far from that. Christianity is definitely not a Western religion because all the most of the, the writings that we have in this book are from the Middle East in, in Asia Minor. It's not a Western book. And as a matter of fact, most of the people that wrote the books of this Bible were not white skinned. They were olive skinned, right? They were Middle Eastern skinned. So this is definitely not a white man's religion. It's definitely not a Western religion. And it's definitely not a religion from the United States, as the United States has only been here for a couple hundred years. This is Christianity has been here for a couple hundred millennia and the, the word of God even longer than that. So it's a mistake to think that Jesus can only be for certain groups. Do you make that mistake in your mind? Have you ever thought Christianity is only for a certain group of people? It's only for the people who look and think and act like me, right? Because we tend to, if we're going to make uh, Christianity about any kind of person, usually we fit that description really well uh, of the person we think Christianity is for. But it's not, right? And we have to be careful that we don't convey in any way in our life that Christianity is only for a certain group of people. Because Christianity includes anyone, everyone, no matter where they're from, what they've done, as long as they have faith in Jesus. As long as they have faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter um, the color of their skin. It doesn't matter if they have markings on their skin. It doesn't matter how much money they've made. It doesn't matter. None of these things restrict somebody from being a part of the family of God. And we need to make sure that we don't fall into that, that mistake of thinking Christianity is for our group only and not for another group. Think in your life, is there any way that you might live or say or think and convey that Christianity is only for a certain set of people? Is there any way in your life that you have done that? If so, repent of that, turn away from that and find ways that you can convey that Jesus is for all kinds of people. There are some in the, in the past in Christianity that have thought, okay, we want to make sure that we're witnessing to people, but we need to witness to the people who we think are going to get saved. Not just witness to everybody, but witness to the people who we think are demonstrating characteristics that, that are similar to Christians. So if, if they're acting like Christians a little bit already, we'll witness to only those people and, and, and pull them in. That's a way that you might think Christianity is only for a certain set of people, by limiting who you witness to. So the best way to fight against that is to witness to all people, share with all people, and realize that the door 
into Christianity is the same door for everybody. At one point in this country, there were different doors for different colored people, right? Not very long ago, um, our grandparents for sure experienced um, a time when there was one door for black people and one door for white people. And that would be a massive mistake for us to think that were the case with Christianity. There's only one door. The Jewish people made that mistake. They thought, we'll walk through the door of the law. And then the Christians or the, the, the Gentiles, maybe they go through the door of faith or some other extra door. But no, Paul's making this, the point that says, no, is God the God of Jews only and not Gentiles? No, he's the God of all people, both Jews and Gentiles. And what's the door they come from? Verse 30 says this. He will justify the circumcised by faith. That's the Jews and the uncircumcised through faith. It's the same door. There's no different set of rules or standards or uh, no separate path that someone takes to come to Christianity that another person doesn't. No, it's all through faith, by justification, through faith in Jesus. There's only one door, and we have to make sure that we are pointing to that door. We're pointing to that door, that one door of justification through faith in Jesus. Because we can point to other doors, right? Um, the Jews were making the mistake of saying, hey, uh, the, 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 there's one door that's for faith and there's another door for us that follow the law and have been given the law. But we might think that there are extra doors as well. We might think, hey, only those people, like, like we mentioned, who look like me or even act like me or, or share the same kind of political view as me or have the same kind of values and, and things as me, those are the only people who get in, right? But we have to make sure that we're not pointing to those values and those things as the way someone comes into Christianity. It's only through faith in Jesus, through his blood and through faith in that sacrifice. So the second implication of justification by faith is this, that groups are unified. And finally, the third one is this, the law is upheld. The law is upheld. Verse 31 says this, do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. So again, Paul kind of asked a rhetorical question that maybe doesn't have the hit that the other one does because the other question was so obvious. Is God, is God only the God of the Jews? Well, obviously not. But Paul's kind of anticipating the thought of the person who's hearing this, right? What might the Jewish person hear when they hear people are made right with God by simply believing in what Jesus has done for them, turning from their sins and trusting in that? What might they think? They might think, well, what about our history? What about our national history? Do we just throw all that away? God made promises to our Jewish people that the Messiah would come through us. He's made all these promises to us. Now, now do we just live however we want? If we're justified by faith, if we're made right with God by what we believe, then does what we do even matter? If, if we're just made right by God by believing, does what we do even matter? You can read up, and if, you, if you're still in Romans chapter 3, go back up to verse 5. This is a question Paul has addressed a little bit already. Romans chapter 3 verse 5 says this, but if, in, sorry, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means... For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds in his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that God may come 
as some people scandalously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So Paul's saying a lot of people, when they heard this gospel message, were saying to Paul, are you saying that if, if we sin more, God's glorified more? And, if, and if, if, if we're saved by faith, then what does that mean about our lives afterwards? It's, it's a fair and just question to ask because that, that's the logical step, right? If, if what we believe makes us right, then what we do has no meaning. That's what Paul's fighting against. That would be the, impl- that would be the, the logical next step. So Paul comes to that thought, that logical next step, and undercuts it and says, no, 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 no. It's not about just believing and not doing anything. No, what you do is based on what you believe. You actually uphold the law. See, the gospel uh, doesn't come just to get rid of the Old Testament. The gospel comes to fulfill the Old Testament. That's what Jesus said, right, in in the Sermon on the Mount. He came and said, I didn't come to overthrow the law. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus' death satisfied the demands of the law that said there must be blood sacrifice for our sin. And that law showed us that we were sinful, but the law was unable to provide us a remedy for that sin. It was like a doctor who could diagnose but couldn't prescribe, right? The law was like a doctor who could diagnose but couldn't prescribe. He could look at your situation and say, you know, this is the problem with you. You've got this, 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 and this. Kind of like Web, it's like WebMD. That's what the law was like. You go to WebMD on the internet and you read that thing, it's gonna tell you everything wrong with you. Like your pinky toe hurts, uh, you're gonna lose your head. Like it's like this crazy place. It tells you everything that's wrong with you, but it cannot prescribe any medicine or perform a surgery to help you. That's what the law was like. But Jesus comes and fulfills that law. Not only can he look into our hearts and show us what's wrong with us, he can do the surgery to fix that. Jesus fulfills the law. And now Christians don't overthrow the law. We actually live that law out in a way that the people of the Old Testament never could. The gospel message enables us to fulfill the law. Or sorry, the gospel message fulfills the law and then it enables us to obey the law. We live out the law the way it was intended. The law points out our sin, but what it was made to do, what Deuteronomy 6 tells us, what Jesus points to as the greatest law, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Christians should be the people in this world that can do those two things the best. They should be able to love God and love other people because the Spirit enables them to. When we trust in Jesus, when we've put our faith in Jesus, when we've been made right with Him, when we've been justified through faith, we're not only declared right in that moment, we're eventually made right through sanctification. We're declared right, and then God makes us into that right person. We start to live out the way, the law, that God wanted us to live, that we would love him and love other people. That criticism um, that was mentioned in in those verses before, I think that's a good, um, that can almost be applied to Southern Baptists. Right. What's the what's the big complaint about us Southern Baptists? Right. That we believe in that doctrine of once saved, always saved. Right. Have you ever heard that? That doctrine of once saved, always saved means if if once you've gotten saved, you're always going to be saved. 
no matter how you live your life. That's, the, that's what we're trying to say there, right? And I think that that doctrine gets misunderstood and misexplained a lot because that turns Christianity into just getting your ticket punched, right? Once you've got the plane ticket, it doesn't matter what you do in your life. You can get onto that plane as long as you can pass the background check, right? But the idea is this. If, if you get your ticket punched, you're good to go. You don't have to live your life in any way um, that, that, that applies to how God would want you to live your life. As long as you've got that ticket punched, as, all, as long as you walked that aisle, you prayed that prayer, uh, you got in the water and got baptized, as long as you've done that, you're good to go. It doesn't matter how you live. Paul is coming in and he is just like leg sweeping us, like just cutting that out and saying, no, 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 that's impossible. That's not the way Christians are to live. You live out the declaration over you. You've been declared right now you live right. Because grace makes that possible. Grace makes salvation possible. We get something that we don't deserve. It's grace saves us, but it also sanctifies us and makes us right. It empowers us to live out what God would have us live. Maybe you've read through the Bible. I hope you've read passages of the Bible. You hear the word preached to you. You hear these commands that are commanded to you of how you should live. And maybe at times you felt like that's impossible. I cannot be what I'm reading in this scripture. I cannot be that. That's a lie, friend. That is a lie because when Jesus saves you and declares you right, he doesn't leave you in that state. He, he brings you out of that state. He sends the Holy Spirit to indwell you so that you can live out this, his will for your life. You can overcome the sin that's in your life. You can witness to people and share the gospel with people that you never thought you could. You can live a loving marriage that reflects the gospel. You can be a good mom and a good dad that points people to how God treats us. You can overthrow an addiction. You can do all of these things that God calls you to do, not because you want to do them, but because God wants to do them through you. God wants you to live for him more than you want to live for him. And he enables you to do that through his Holy Spirit. Not so that you can point to yourself and brag as we've seen. Not so that you can feel like you're the in crowd and no one else can be as we've seen. And not so that you can just live however you want to, but so you can live how God would want you to live according to his laws, according to the way he would have you live. Which is summed up by Jesus as this, to love others, or love God, and love other people. So in your life, believer, I want you to think, every time you uh, step out of this room or step into this room, whenever you're in your workplaces, your homes, your, your places of entertainment, whatever you're doing, remember that the fact that you've been justified by faith has implications for all parts of your life. It removes boasting from our vocabulary. It, it breaks down the barriers that would, that would say, I'm in, you're out. And it helps us to live out that law that God has written on our hearts, that we would love him and love others. So let's be people who live out that justification, not just come in here and talk about, yay, we're made right with God, this is great. But we would go out and live that right righteousness uh, in front of people. Not that we can brag, right? But as Jesus said in Matthew 5, that you're, that you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, right? You, you do your good, weeks, good works before people that they might praise 
God. So let's be people that go take this righteousness that's declared over us and go live it out in front of people and in our lives in such a way that they might be pointed to Jesus rather than us. Let's pray.